Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Asian. Today, I'm joined by Kim, who is the co-founder of Cora, a bakery offering Filipino-inspired pastries. What started as an idea to sell donuts in her queen's kitchen last year has now evolved into a full-fledged craze, with hundreds of people eagerly waiting at their computers to get a chance to buy donuts that typically sell out within minutes. Cora has been recognized on Eater.com and more recently on the New York Times. Kim, it's an honor to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. Why don't you introduce yourself for our listeners? Sure. So my name is Kim. I am 27 years young. And back in June of 2020, right smack dab uh, in the middle of the worldwide uh, COVID craziness, I decided to start selling donuts out of my apartment. And that started on my personal Instagram. And since we have grown into a full-fledged operation called Cora, that's the name of our company. And I operate it alongside my boyfriend, Kevin. And yeah, we've just grown from a small apartment run operation. And next week we'll be moving into a full-fledged commissary kitchen. So uh, exciting things. Yes, yes. That's huge. I actually first learned about your work through my friend, Andrew Chang. He's the owner of Chenggu Sweets, and he has a similar story in that sense that he started making cakes and sweets out of his Queen's Kitchen. He was our guest on the first episode of Let's Talk Asian, and he talked about how you were an inspiration for him to start his own online bakery last year. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you are incredibly busy. I actually recently read your feature on the New York Times, and I felt tired reading it. (laughs) So (laughs) just so you know, like I'm the type of person who wakes up at five in the morning, every morning, and I run about six miles, I study, and then I start my full day of work. And when I read your schedule, I just could not fathom when you get to sleep. (laughs) Well, what's funny is that that was on a Sunday. So that's technically an an off day for me. And it was, you know, (laughs) I got to spend some time with my family. And like, honestly, they wanted to talk. They They were very pressing for me to have like content for them, you know, so I do jump rope with my cousin in the morning, you know, I try to integrate it as part of my daily routine. But I can tell you right now, that's something that can't typically happen every single day, or even every Sunday, for that matter. I try to be as productive as possible with what time I do have, because I I need to be there's so many things that need to get done each and every day, a lot of things behind the scenes for our business. But it's definitely a lot of work. And you have to be fully dedicated to something like this. But it's that much more rewarding because it's ours and we can do what we want with this company. Mm, A total labor of love. I'm curious how you got started. I've done my research and I see that you previously worked in hospitality and you were laid off last year because of the pandemic. But I'm curious to know what your experience was like prior to this, what you were doing for your occupation, what you studied, things like that. Yeah, as you mentioned, I've been in the food industry since, you know, I went to culinary school, graduated from the CIA back in 2016 with a bachelor's degree in management, actually, I had gone to culinary school for culinary arts and not necessarily for pastry, which, you know, it's kind of funny how I ended up on the sort of sweeter end of things. When I went to CIA, 
I took a little bit of a gap between my associate's degree and my bachelor's degree to pursue some pastry jobs um, just so I could get some experience and just become well-rounded as a chef. But when I did return, you know, I went right back into the savory side of things. And actually, my full intention was to eventually end up in the savory world. Fast forward to right before the pandemic began, I was working as a research and development cook for um, Union Square Hospitality Group in their catering branch. So I was helping them develop recipes and like some clerical work as far as like listing those recipes down and making sure yields were correct. Sorry, what, are, what are yields? Yields are like, given this recipe, how many can this recipe make? This mm. recipe yields 24 cookies or Got you know it. what have you. Just so they have it for their back end so they know how much to produce, how much food to order, et cetera, et cetera. So I had only been working with them for a month, I think, before I was laid off because of COVID. And then prior to that, you know, I, I had taken like a bit of a gap. My story is like so up and down, but I was working for 11 Madison Park for some time, few months. And then before that, I was working for a huge catering company called Abigail Kirsch in Chelsea Piers on the West side for like three years. You know, I had a good amount of experience under my belt. I'll tell you right now that I always toyed with this idea of starting something on my own, but I never thought I'd ever have the courage to do it. But while I was working as an R&D cook, I had this idea in my mind that I knew I wanted to tap into my roots. I learn a lot of things about culture and about myself through cooking. And I knew I wanted to learn more about Filipino food and do that through actually creating these tasting dinners out of my apartment here in Woodside, Queens. And Woodside, Queens is actually known as Little Manila. So there's a lot of Filipino small mom and pop businesses around here. And the fact that I even ended up living here was not with the intention of being around those businesses, actually, but it was serendipitous, for lack of a better word. I just ended up here and then my business ended up to be in parallel with where I was living and, and a lot of things in my life at that point. So I was planning on doing these dinners. I was just in the very, very early stages of brainstorming that. And so obviously, once COVID hit, I kind of threw that idea out the window. A few months into quarantine, I was doing a lot of baking myself. I didn't know what I was doing with my life like everyone else like I didn't know when I'd be working again if ever in the meantime I saw a lot of my old colleagues and friends who are also professional cooks or chefs creating at home and hustling really and using their skills to sell new products be able to expand and create and use this time very wisely and I wanted to do that as well I just didn't know what and I remember thinking well I know even though I did want to do savory food for those dinners or like a full course tasting menu, I don't think I would be comfortable doing that now because I don't like the idea of sort of the quality deteriorating when it comes to savory food. You know, when I think of packaging things and things to go, like things like mm. baked goods can maintain their quality for a longer period of time. You don't have to worry about temperatures as much and things like that. I have a friend who actually thought of something very similar in the sense that he was a chef at a Korean restaurant in the city called Attoboy. Mm -hmm. And he was also laid off like many others in the industry. And he was very averse to takeout, like savory food takeout, mm -hmm. because the experience is not the same as exactly. indoor dining. He, and he actually had a really, really hard time getting back on his feet afterwards because 
the options were so limited, especially in New York City, when there's a lot of regulation around mm -hmm. what can be open and what not. Right. And what he ended up doing is actually going to Korea, where they have a better control of coronavirus, mm -hmm. uh, where a lot of the restaurants are still open and functioning, and you can still have that indoor experience. But for you, it sounds like you were like, all right, this is the circumstances that I've been dealt. Like, right. I'm going to innovate within my own kitchen. Right. Yeah. I wasn't going to do anything rash and like move across the world like him. And, <laughs> you know, kudos to him because that's that's a really big move and that's a really big decision to make. But yeah, I think for me, it was just more of like, okay, how can I pivot and still be creative and do what I want to do? What do I have to do? What kind of changes do I have to make in order to make that happen? And for me, it was... Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I'm telling you right now, I didn't go like down my list of pastry recipes and like, what do I want to make? Like, <laughs> it, it all happened because I had moved back to my parents to spend some time with them during quarantine, because I was like super lonely in my apartment. Understandable. And, I do the same thing every weekend. <laughs> yeah, I totally. Yeah, I, I, I go visit them every weekend. And so for this extended period of time where I'm not doing anything, I'm not busy with work or what have you, I was like, I'm gonna go stay with my parents. And so I brought with me like a bunch of my baking stuff and I had frozen some brioche dough that I had in my freezer because I was like not about to make myself 24 buns at like at one time. So I like froze half of the batch and I had it in my freezer and I brought it with me, you know, because I, I was like, oh, I'll bake it off at their place. And came the day that I decided to do it. I say this all the time because I think it's so funny. But in most Asian households that I've visited, they use the oven as like a store functioning oh, as absolutely. a storage. Yeah. All so the like, frying pans are in there. Exactly. So like <laughs> I opened the oven door, taken my dough out of the freezer, let it thaw out. I rolled it into little buns. I was letting them prove I was ready to bake them. I opened the oven. I was like, oh, hell no, I'm not. <laughs> I am not taking all this shit out. It's too much. <laughs> exactly. And so at that point, I decided yeah, I'm just going to put a, a pot of oil on the stove and just fry them up like donuts because I know that's like a thing. Like people mm -hmm. make brioche donuts. And so that's what I did. And a couple days prior to that day, it was a girlfriend's birthday. And I had made her an ube crepe cake, you know, like just Yum. on the side. And I had leftover ube pastry cream. And so when I made the donuts, I just filled them. And I was like, hmm, this is very good. And I like <laughs> it. I was like, this is really good. I like it. And I think people would buy it because I would buy it. I think that if it wasn't ube filling that had happened to be left over, I might have been just making regular donuts, honestly. But again, all of this is just so serendipitous because like I didn't plan for any of this to happen at all. After that point, I don't remember how long after that day of discovery that I went back to my apartment, I would say probably within a week or so. But I came back and I immediately just started brainstorming. And I was like, okay, what flavors am I gonna use? You know, going back to those dinners that I was thinking about, I had found a recipe book that my grandma left behind when she passed away, which was back in January of 2020. And I knew that when I found that book, some of those recipes I wanted to use no matter what. I was going to stay true to that because I wanted to pay homage to her. And also she was one of the main influencers of why I am in this industry and why I love to cook. And so I knew that, you know, I had to use some of those recipes. And I remember thinking when I came back to my apartment and I was thinking about what flavors to create for my first round of donuts, she had a leche flan recipe in there. And I 
knew that I had to use that somehow. And, you know, and that still is the same exact recipe from her book that we use today. Like I haven't tweaked it at all. Like it's the same exact thing. I started brainstorming other flavors, you know, outside of that. And it was Halo Halo, which is uh, my favorite Filipino shaved ice. Yes. And uh, Ube because, you know, OG. And mm-hmm. um, and buku pandan, which is coconut and pandan leaves. So good. So good. Yeah, that was just the first round. And, you know, I can't stress enough how casual I was with the quote unquote marketing. It literally was as simple as like, here's a post with the four flavors. And like, <laughs> if you're interested, like come through. If not, I don't care. Like I'm just doing this. In my mind, I had planned, oh, like, I'll do this for a couple of weeks until like I get exhausted or something <laughs> or like until I'm like, not about it anymore. And then honestly, that day was the day that my life changed forever. <laughs> mm. Because from that moment on, I could never not have the 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 identity of Filipino donuts like not attached to me. <laughs> um, because it really just took off. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because it sounds like your mindset was like, I can make money off of this. Like this is good. Yeah. But it doesn't sound like you had imagined it would be a sustainable thing. It might have been like a nice seasonal project to kind of exactly. dabble in. Yeah, that's that was exactly what I thought of because I, I was thinking, you know, again, I, I didn't, everything was so uncertain at that point, but I was honestly like, oh, I'll probably get back to work in like a few months from now. And I don't want to be overly committed to this because I want to go back to work or whatever it was. And things did not turn out that way, clearly. And a few weeks later, we're selling out in like less than a minute. You know, I I could have never, ever um, foresaw any of this happening because of something that I (laughs) did not plan for. What do you think is the reason why people are so attracted to it? I have a lot of really amazing support from family and friends, and they had always egged me on to start something of my own. And I like just never did because I'm like kind of risk averse. Like at least I I thought I was. Um, (laughs) Until now. (laughs) Until now, like starting a business has put me in very uncomfortable positions, but also has led me to a lot of growth and who I am just as a person too. Um, And a lot of realizations about myself. But like, I think that in the beginning, I just had such a great support system. And so like, those were my initial customers, I'd say. And they're just so excited that I was like finally doing something they could buy. Because for a long time, my Instagram was completely dedicated to just posting like food and like things I'd create, but I would never sell them. Like I was just doing it for myself and Mm -hmm. to share it with people. And when like they saw that I was actually selling something, it was like, oh, I got to jump on this opportunity right away. And then when people started buying it and it was all word of mouth, like we had never put something out other than my very few posts on Instagram to start. I even remember telling myself, like, I don't want this to be big. Like, I can't (laughs) be stressed out. Like, that's not my thing. Like, I do not want to be stressed out. And so I kept it very minimal. But then, like, you can't stop people from telling other people about, like, something they're excited about, you know? That's true. I think you also had the right timing in the sense that a lot of people were at home and they crave variety. If they're mm-hmm. not going out to restaurants, cafes are closed or just doing takeout, whatever. Right. Um, so I think there's there was an appetite for it. And also, I think mainstream people are embracing non-American foods, mm-hmm. whether that's Filipino totally. foods or Taiwanese foods or Korean foods or Thai foods or whatever it may be. Right. I think we're getting into a culture where that kind of exploration and like travel through food 
is widely accepted and embraced. Yeah, absolutely. And I started there, right? I started with that just initial fan base, I would say, because they were my immediate friends and family. But um, it grew for the reasons that you just mentioned, you know, and people were bored at home and like, oh, look at this person that's creating these works of art, I guess, that they've been referred to as such. And so I'm using that term, but like, you know, they're just like excited about it because they don't have much else to be excited for. And I don't want to downplay the don'ts because I am very proud of my work and like how far we've come. Everything just seemed to fall in place. The circumstances were great. Yeah. A big thing for me, I think maybe possibly even the number one reason why we've been so successful is because I wear my heart on my sleeve and I, I'm very emotional when it comes to storytelling and like the food that I create, there's always some sort of deeper meaning behind it for me when I do it, especially when clearly it has to do with my roots and my heritage and, and my life story. And so I think people are connected to Cora through all of the stories behind it because you know it's human connection at the end of the day I think is something that everybody looks for and if they can find it whether it's through a donut or another product I think that's like the best way that you should approach a, a business is to connect with people and so I think that's the number one reason that we've been able to go so far that and also the creativity and what we've been able to showcase on our page the artistry of it all my brother is our photographer and i have always loved working with him on random food projects whether it was for profit or not it was just for fun you know and i think the whole family aspect too and the fact that a lot of people in my network were able to contribute their different pieces of expertise into this project that made it just so successful. Because if I didn't have that system of support and also like knowledge, because I don't know how to take photos nicely, <laughs> like, you know, I can provide my creative input, but my brother is that for us. And then we had my cousin who was like our social media person for a while and direct us on like some PR things, you know, like all of these things really just came together and propelled us forward. There's just so many factors that have led us to, to yeah. the successes that we've seen lately. Yeah. It takes a team. A lot of business stories sound like an overnight success of one person running the show, but a sustainable business absolutely takes a team of people. Totally. Um, one person cannot do everything and one person isn't perfect. They don't have enough of breadth of skill set in order yeah. to cover everything that's needed. In my personal opinion, there's one more reason that you haven't mentioned, which is that I think you're the right person to do it. I saw on your Instagram, you posted a picture that you had framed from 2009. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, it's, you're laughing because I think you know what I'm talking about. Yes. When you were a sophomore in high school, you wrote, I, Kimberly Mendoza Kamara, do solemnly swear to open a restaurant and achieve new levels of culinary success. <laughs> and I think that is incredibly prescient. It's clear that you always had a drive. Yeah. And I mean, did you always know that this was your passion? Because most people don't know what they want to do in life. And that's not even about age. Like, even if they're 30, 40, 50 years old, they have no idea what their purpose is. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, back in sophomore year of high school, at that point, I was starting to develop a more serious interest in food, like, oh, maybe I'll like pursue this as a legitimate career. But 
I can tell you right now, I, I didn't know what those words really meant. Like, I didn't know what those words really meant to me. It was literally like a friend of mine during lunch just wrote it down because I had <laughs> I had taken like the school lunch and like made some Frankenstein of a dessert or something. And I was like, oh, wow, like I'm such a chef. And he wrote that down. And I was like, I'll sign it, like whatever. And then I found it years later and I completely forgot about it too. And I was like, oh, this is funny. Like it was more of like a sarcastic thing more than anything and then I framed it and because I thought it was, it was so funny and um yeah and who knew that a few years later like all of this would kind of happen and to your point of people not really knowing what they want to do with their lives like I guess like it's been such a monumental year for me because I felt that same way when this started I was about 26 years old and so I was like damn I'm like 26 like I should have something figured out for me but I really didn't I was kind of just imagining myself kind of hopping around from restaurant to restaurant until like I don't know until something different happened so it was really exciting when it was all coming together like whoa this is like gonna be my life now like I literally cannot erase this from my life. <laughs> this is it. And it's going to be it for, you know, at least the next few years. And it's given me a platform to kind of like, if this ever ends, because again, I can't predict the trajectory of where Cora will be in like 10 years from now. But like, if this ever ends, like I have something under my belt to say that I started this, I have experience doing this, and maybe oh, I can absolutely. do it again if, if it, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of insane. Yeah. And there's tons of people who start one business and then like go into so many different other fields yeah, yeah. because they carry that experience and that wisdom. It's constantly an evolution. I know that you attended LaGuardia High School. Yep. <laughs> and as a fellow New York City high school student, I think it's kind of a special experience to attend uh, high school in New York City. My sister was also a LaGuardia alumni and she oh. majored in flute. Uh-huh. I'm guessing you did vocal music? I did I did vocal music yeah that's another passion of mine but you know it's just something like <laughs> these days I, I just do in, in my spare time I, I grew up um, around a lot of music as well my dad loves to sing like and when I say loves to sing like he loves to do karaoke <laughs> I but mean, like, is there anyone who doesn't, though? <laughs> I know, right? So it's like, am I really saying much? But yeah, no, my dad is a great singer. And I picked up music at an early age. Like I was forced into taking piano lessons like a lot of my fellow Asians. It's basic. Forced. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, but like, you know, I just really enjoyed the singing part. And also, I guess I want to say being Filipino, it's almost like ingrained into our culture. That how you, do you guys all sing, sing so well? I, I don't honestly, get it. I don't know, man. I, I don't know how that <laughs> happened. But it's all my Filipino friends, amazing singers, amazing <laughs> dancers. How? I, I don't, don't get I, it. <laughs> I, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you. Yeah, my cousin who is our, our social. I feel like Filipinos like to just be like dabble in so many different things. Like my cousin mm -hmm. is, you know, who is our social. Like he's he's a dancer, but he also like does like a lot of other things on the side. It's just, I don't know. We just like so to do creative. a lot of it. Yeah. I love it. So I went to Brooklyn Tech um, mm -hmm. and I think I'm a few years older than you are, but I have some friends who are younger. So I asked around and I was like, guys, did you go to school with Kim? Do you know anything about her? That's and funny. And you know what they said? They said, Kim is really nice. Uh, they also said that you used to bake and sell cookies and brownies in school. Oh my God, school. who did you talk to? Because these are like my... <laughs> I did do that. Dude, I was always a hustler, I guess. Like, yeah. I just, now that you bring that up, I was like, holy shit, I did do that in high school. Like, what? Because I remember... What, what was that about? You were selling cookies and brownies? 
I was selling cookies. I don't, did I sell brownies? I don't even remember at this point, but I was selling cookies because like, honestly, again, I, a lot of my friends were like selling brownies and stuff at school. I don't even know how this started. I think they're just trying to make an extra buck on the side, just like me. So this wasn't even like a event, like a bake sale. This no, was just I like, just like do it casually. Yeah, I would like just like <laughs> go home after school, bake a batch of cookies and bring it in the next day and sell them for like two for a dollar or something like that. Like my teachers loved it. Like, I don't know. Like, and so that's so funny that you mentioned that because now I need to know who your sources are because there are people like spying on me. (laughs) I mean, I mean, if you've gone to a New York City specialized high school and you're Asian, I think, you know, the community is not that large. Right, right, right. It was so interesting to hear that detail because I was like, yeah, she's always been doing that. This is like not anything new. I think even when you were back in as a student, like you were clearly passionate about baking and cooking and culinary arts. And this was just always something that you were doing. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, I'm even thinking back now to like, even as far as like middle school, when you were selling cookies there too. <laughs> I was, what was I do? Oh, I wasn't selling anything, but I like would often bring in like some random things that I cooked. Like I remember making like this, <laughs> you know, like I would make Turon is a Filipino spring roll, but it's sweet. It's a dessert and it's filled with banana. And I remember like thinking that I had this crazy creation of exchanging the banana for apple. And I was like so proud of it. And I like brought it into school. I was like, I'm such a G for doing this. Like I am so innovative for switching out a fruit in like, you know, but I remember bringing that to school and like giving it to all my friends and even some teachers. And I would bring in like sun-dried tomato po- I don't know. I was just like so weird. I was a weird kid. I'm sorry right now. <laughs> I but, mean, looking back on it, it all makes sense. But I'm sure at the time it was like, why is this kid just bringing these random treats? Yeah, I was just, like, I honestly, I'm telling you right now, I was not a social butterfly by any means. I was like the <laughs> quiet, awkward person in school. And so, you know. It tends to be that the quiet, awkward kids always like grow up to be these like phenomenally mature <laughs> and like successful people. I don't know why that is, but it tends to be that case. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me about your menu and your offerings. Like, I understand that you have a flavor of the week. I don't know your, if you're still doing that because that seems like a lot of work to do. Oh my gosh, um, and yeah. what are some of your best sellers? I think I've created. 13 flavors since we started. And when we were in the thick of things, what we would do was create five flavors a week. Sometimes I would come up with a new flavor and like add it to that set, but those five flavors a week would rotate. And so no, I attempted in the beginning to create a new flavor each week, but eventually people didn't get access to those earlier flavors. And so they would like ask for them to come back. And then, you know, I'd be able to like take a break for a week and not have to like squeeze all the creative juice out of my mind to create a new flavor (laughs) every single week. And so yeah, they they started rotating. Eventually, I would like it to be a little more consistent, maybe like a a new flavor every month or something. Mm -hmm. Our top sellers are 100% 100% the leche flan and 100% the ube. And like, I kind of knew that off the bat just because, you know, ube has become way more mainstream recently because of Instagram and like it's bright and purple and it's so like exciting to the mm-hmm. eye. Um, and it's also delicious. You know, I don't want to take away from that either. And then the leche flan, I think because flan itself is pervasive in so many cultures and, and cuisines already, I think so many 
different people became excited about that. And like Fawn's delicious too. So like <laughs> everybody, everybody loves it. But I will say that, you know, everybody has their favorites. Like we'll get messages all the time of like, oh, I love the Champorado, which is like a uh, one of our flavors based on a, on a chocolate porridge in the Philippines. And like, oh, like the Halo Halo, like just tastes just like Halo Halo. And it's crazy because it's like, it's not hollow hollow it doesn't have the ice and stuff but it tastes like mm. it. you know it's like it's really fun to see the excitement brought about by the different flavors for people and you know what kind of memories and feelings they evoke for them because uh, one of the best compliments i think we receive when it comes to you know trying these flavors is like oh it brought me back to my childhood and i think yes you know, that's part of what core is about, just bring you back to your roots and like remind you of things and also discover new things through eating. That's like yeah, really absolutely. exciting. And how long does it take you to formulate a recipe for one of your donuts? Like I was just talking to the owner of Tea and Milk the other day. Mm -hmm. um, they have a shop in Astoria and they recently opened a new location inside Chelsea Market. Mm -hmm. Matthew, the owner, had said that what he's most proud of is one of his drinks, the Thai milk tea. It took him five years to create that recipe because he had a very specific vision for the quality of the tea, the color that he wanted it to yield. What is your process like? <laughs> so that's the other funny part about all of this is that when I began testing, like for the first rollout of flavors that I had spoken of earlier, the testing lasted like less than a day. Like I was like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure like I know what I want and I'm going to do it. And when I did make them, there were still some tweaks that needed to be made, but I knew what I had to do to make them. And so I was pretty confident when executing them for sale, I was pretty confident that they would be how I envisioned them to taste. And I will also say that, you know, again, because I was so non-committal and I was just like, this is whatever. I was like, this is good enough. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I think people people will like it. And then so over time, and I think people shouldn't be afraid of this. Like I understand, um, you know, wanting to put out the best product possible, but also I think people that are looking to, to get in, to start selling a product should also, unless it's like detrimental to somebody's health or something, like they should right. not be afraid to put it out and then accept feedback and then adjust from there. Because- I will say now, like I've tweaked so many things in our recipes, like over these past few months. And like some of them are minimal, some of them are, are you know, a little more substantial. But like the point is that it's constantly changing for the better. And maybe even like one thing that you thought worked for you and that you liked previously doesn't work anymore and you want to just change it even more. So I, I wasn't afraid of that. Like I wasn't afraid of just changing things and I wasn't afraid of people like, oh, this is bad and it should be this. And I was like, oh, okay, like, okay, I'll make it better. And, you know, I, I wasn't afraid of people like being turned off to it because again, this is something seasonal and temporary and like, I probably won't even be making these donuts two months from now. So like, I really don't give a crap. And, and that's what's so comical about it for, of it all for me is because it was so uh, low effort. <laughs> and obviously now I'm a little more like, you know, I take it a lot more seriously now because of the volume that we're doing and like the platform we have and the types of people that are, are buying our donuts now. But the brainstorming process, I haven't put out a new flavor in a while. I think the last one was in early February where we, uh, we did a Peely and J. Mm. But, you know, a lot of these flavors too are usually in the back of my mind for a long time. In my mind, like I know exactly how I want to execute it and then I'll just like do it. And yeah, that was, again, that, that one too was another 
kind of one off. I just made it and I was like, oh, it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> I like it. I think it's, I'll I'll make this this one a little bit sweeter and uh yeah, we'll we'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> like, as someone who works in tech, it's funny because I'm like, Kim, do you work in tech? Because the attitude is very similar where it's like, let's put it out there. Mm-hmm. Let's see what the market says. Let's see what our customers say. Let's get some feedback and then we'll iterate on it. Exactly. And it's not going to be perfect the first time around, but like done is better than perfection. And you have to have some sort of like continuous feedback loop in order to actually progress. Exactly. Your product better. Right. Because some some of these things you might notice, but only other people will. And the Mm -hmm. only way for them to actually know those things is to experience the product. And so, yeah, when you were saying that, I was thinking about like all of the iPhones, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and how they've just like changed so much over time. And like yeah. I was talking to my cousin the other day who has, I don't know, what is even the most recent model, but how it's like smaller, like the size of the five now. Ooh, they made a mini. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, wait, so like we wanted bigger. Now we want smaller again. Like, like oh, I'm- I was very excited to see the mini. So my theory is that all the designers or nearly all the designers are men. For mm-hmm. those ha- hardware pieces, mm-hmm. this is my theory. It could be totally false <laughs> uh, because the phones just get bigger and bigger and they don't fit in pockets anymore. Frankly, frankly they don't fit in my handbag anymore. <laughs> um, and then plus like mini mini bag trend on top of that just like makes it very difficult. So <laughs> in order to carry a phone in your hands and not have your wrist hurt, it needs to be of a certain size. Mm-hmm. And that's my guess. That's my guess as to why they brought the mini back. That's so funny. I mean, hey, like, you know, I know some people miss that size, mm-hmm. like you were saying, for those reasons. And so, like, kudos to them. But it's just so funny to see how it evolves. It, it seems like it's it's just getting bigger and then it gets smaller. And then you're like, well, weren't we <laughs> okay. weren't we at that point like many yeah. years ago? You know, <laughs> it um, goes, it's ebbs and flows. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, what advice would you give to anyone who wants to start their own business? So don't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, don't even like it's going to ruin your life. (laughs) I would say going off, you know, even what we had just spoken about is even a bit of advice to not be afraid to put out something that and, and understand that you can always fix and change things. I think the number one thing is to not be afraid to be yourself and your genuine self, because that is what people are drawn to, is going back to the storytelling behind everything. All of that is 100% just me putting myself out there and not holding back. And I think people are afraid to do that because they're afraid of how it might be perceived or like, is this marketable or whatever. But again, like I think the part that people want to see is that there's a person behind the business and it's somebody that they can connect to in any regard. I would say that and uh, <laughs> be prepared to put your heart in- and soul into it because it's not easy. It's going to require all of your time and <laughs> you'll be thinking about it day and night if you really want it to go somewhere, but it is worth it, like 100% worth it. And to be able to say that you pushed yourself through it all is the best reward ever. I'm curious to know what are some of the kind of problems that keep you up at night? Oh my gosh. Well, for one, like I'm constantly thinking about flavors and like what I want to do in the future. And I know it's so far away, but that's constantly in my mind. And something that I always think of is how can we make sure Cora is always something that's timeless? Because I know food trends are so like come mm-hmm. and go. Mm-hmm. And 
Like, I don't want us to be that. Our donuts have become trendy, not mm -hmm. because we intended them to be, but just because of things like press and people are just like crazy about the latest thing and they, they create the hype for it. That's something that I worry about. That's something that I want to prevent. <laughs> so I think about that a lot. You know, and it's just also general things within the business, like moving into our space next week. I'm like these days, I'm always thinking about, okay, the kitchen is a completely new space. Are we going to adjust well? How different is production going to be? How is that going to affect our timelines that we're used to operating out of a, an apartment versus like this new giant space where I'm not completely familiar with all the equipment or, or the layout. I'm constantly thinking about it. it's like plagues my mind all the time. I think a lot of those issues, you won't get an answer for until you're in that situation. Mm -hmm. And frankly, it's a lot of trying to get ahead of failure, failure proofing where you're thinking about what could go wrong and like, what are what are the different possibilities here. But mm -hmm. sometimes these problems are made up and sometimes they're real. Yeah. Hope for the best, prepare for the worst mentality, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to say, and this has been, I think for me has, has had to be the biggest learning curve is to not care about <laughs> haters. <laughs> well, who, who, who are, who's hating you guys? You know, <laughs> it's okay. So like it, our first pop-up happened back in October, I think early October. And, um, and you know, that was a why was it why we was were it? not prepared for the amount of people that came there's volume like, mm. it was so insane we had over a thousand people in line <laughs> and we like had prepared for like a hundred people at most oh and we God. knew we had the following but we didn't we genuinely were and we we even went as far as like telling all our friends and stuff that were interested in coming we we're like do not come you know we knew what we were gonna be able to like actually supply that was like not long after the eater the initial eater article came out and that was when we really fucking blew up like that mm -hmm. was when it everything exploded for us but we had never done a pop-up before yeah. like we didn't know how to handle people to that capacity and that volume. And like, it was really hard. And I remember after everything was done, everybody had gone and we had already distributed our donuts to whoever was at the front of the line. Right, right. I remember like we, we did it out of a local business cafe called Fabula. And the owners of the business were like clapping at the end. They were like, oh my God, like, look what you guys did. Look at the amount of people you brought into Woodside, which was, you know, it's part of what we want to do too, is we want to support this area and, and the businesses around us. But I was crying because I hated seeing so many angry people and knowing that we were the cause of it. Because I know how precious time is and the fact that we took all these people's time because we couldn't figure out how to organize things better and prepare for literally nothing could have prepared us for what showed up because we, we never predicted that would have ever happened. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, after that, we got a lot of people like commenting and being like, oh, well, you, you guys, like, how could you not have predicted this? And you guys really fucked up with how you organized the line and you, false hope and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. People's bitterness also affects how they react to the company in the long run, right? And like, even if we're getting better, They'll give it one chance and then they might never yeah. want to revisit that company again. And on the other side of that, there's also people that hated so hard that we're like, okay, yeah, that's fine. We can take that loss of a customer. And then they fucking came back like a few months later and we're like, oh my God, I love you. Like, so, and so I, I've been trying to teach myself to take a lot of these like comments and people that are just straight up like haters online because 
haters yeah, gonna hate. Haters gonna hate. And like, <laughs> I've been trying to train myself to take all of these comments with a, a grain of salt because it honestly, it really does come with the territory. As great of a business as you are, as big of a business, there's always going to be people that don't agree with what you're doing or That's don't like your product or whatever it is. And like, it's a hard pill to swallow because it's such a personal endeavor. Like this whole thing is so deeply personal, but at the same time, it is a business. It's just going to happen. That's another big piece of advice I would give to anyone that wants to go into starting their own business because you cannot take those things personally. It's not a reflection of who you are as a person because they don't like something that you created or something, you know? I think of it as statistics. Like simply if you're achieving that level of success, the statistics has to show that there's going to be as many people who like don't like it. That's what happens when you have more volume. But if you Mm -hmm. had only like 10 people, it's easy to like make 10 people happy, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your plan? What's next for you? We are moving to the commissary next week. A lot of lately has just been planning and trying to think about oh, a lot of paperwork. Oh my gosh, there's so much paperwork. Oh, I love that stuff, like permits, approvals. Oh my <laughs> gosh, it is such a he- such a headache. Luckily, we actually have a third partner that handles all of that for us. He's actually my cousin and he's really wonderful and has taken a lot of the stress off of our shoulders so that we can focus on the things that are like, for example, I can focus more on the recipes and the operations in the kitchen. I have to worry less about doing all this clerical work and Mm -hmm. the legal stuff. I'm excited. You know, we will be donating our first couple of drops. I think we're going to be donating to some local hospitals um, to, I don't want to say celebrate the one year of COVID, but more like commemorate it and like realize that it's been a year already and you know thank our wonderful healthcare workers my mom and my titas are all nurses and so I think a big story to tell within the Filipino community absolutely they must be so proud of you by the way oh my god crying every day (laughs) like (laughs) my mom is so funny (laughs) by the way my mom was very involved in the whole thing she would be here every Friday glazing donut coming I'm sure she's thrilled to be She's probably like, this is my daughter. Like, yeah, send, send you know, to everyone. She's like so proud that that of of everything that we're doing, but also she's like she she doesn't. <laughs> we give her as much priority as we can for the donuts, but like all her friends are like, why can't you get us donuts? Like that's your yeah. daughter. Yeah, exactly. and she's like, I literally can't even get them myself. <laughs> so it's really funny, but yeah, you know, that's upcoming this month, and then honestly. We're really focused because we have been kind of out of commission with production for the last few months. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're really focused on just being able to get donuts to people that have not tried them for literally months and months and months. Mm-hmm. We've been waiting on the waiting list who have been trying to get their orders in every week. So that's what we're going to focus on. And in the meantime, we also have a broker that kind of running around looking for a retail space for us. Um, Fantastic. So exciting. I know. Because we really miss like the face-to-face customer Mm -hmm. interaction. Like, you know, that's where Kevin's role comes in. His background in hospitality is more on the front end of things. He's really missed working. He used to work as a server for USHG at a restaurant called Manhattan. It was a fine dining dining space. And I know he really misses that interaction with people. And so, you know, I really would love to get that up and running as soon as possible so that get that fulfillment for him on that end but that's really it in the short term that's amazing sounds like in-store is on the horizon pickup will still be a thing what about delivery 
Oh man, yeah, there's like so many things to think about. Well, so the commissary that we're moving into has a lot of delivery options available. I don't know if we're necessarily going to use it yet because we've come to realize that people are willing to travel for the donuts. And so mm -hmm. like right now, I don't think it's worth the added headache of like figuring out the delivery end of things. We used to do that. Um, Kevin would drive in his little sports car and like just drive all, all around Queens. It's just like an added level of like yeah. exhaustion and planning yeah. that right now we don't necessarily need because there's so many people out in the other boroughs that really want to try them and can't always, you know, make the trip out. But as of now, I think we're just going to stick to pickups until we can make the time and provide Do the right. efforts. Yeah. So if our listeners want to get in touch with your story, with your work, where can they find you? You can definitely reach us on our Instagram um, at from Quora. That's like where most of the uh, more current events will be posted, up to date things. We also have a website. We just launched that. We did like a soft launch back in January, and we are in the process of still updating that. But you can find out a couple of things on there as well. And that's from Quora dot com. That's K O R A. Yes, from K O R A. Yes. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kim. It was so fun talking to you. You can find us at Let's Talk Asian on Instagram and leave us five star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you. Thank you.